Welcome to the episode of our series on remote connectivity and how to achieve information resilience hosted by BSI. Throughout this series, we will be discussing a range of topics to help your organization to improve its information resilience in this increasingly distributed working world. So please make sure to subscribe to the BSI channel to get notified for our next episodes. Uh, I'm Stephen Bowes, I'm the Global Practice Director here at BSI, and I've been with BSI for the last three, eight years. I specialize in e-discovery, cloud security, digital forensics, and pretty much all things from an information technology and security perspective, with specific emphasis on data. Prior to that, I spent 18 years in the financial services industry in a range of roles across the technology stack. Today, I'm joined by Mike Pittman. Mike is the Director of Cyber and IT Security here at BSI. Mike, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Pleasure. Good to be here. No problem. Mike, quick, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I joined BSI back in November last year uh, as the Interim Director of Cyber and IT Security. Uh, prior to that, I've worked at uh, Dunhumby, uh, John Lewis and a large global HR company called Adeco as their CISO. Um, I've worked in information security for around about 20 years now, managing everything from small risk management teams through to operational security teams, um, physical security, network security, and everything in between. Fantastic. Thanks, Mike. So in today's episode, Mike and I are going to discuss information resilience in the context of organizational resilience. We're going to touch upon some key cloud and digital transformation aspects of information resilience. And we're also going to talk about business continuity uh, in light of recent events and in light of a recent report that came out with BSI. So with that in mind, we'll kick into gear in terms of our organization resilience. So just to clearly define what is organization resilience, and this is taken from the BS 65,000 standard, um, and organization resilience is the ability of an organization to anticipate, prepare for, respond, and adapt to incremental change and sudden disruptions in order to survive and prosper. And in March 2021, BSI issued its organizational resilience index report um, which surveyed into more than 500 global business leaders. And one of the key findings out of the index report was that cyber and information security are likely to be important with many organizations intending to maintain a wider usage of remote working to reflect the new workforce lifestyle preferences and to avoid the risk of large centralized offices, which obviously have a, a health and safety element to it, in addition to an information security element to it. And if we define information resilience in this context, of course, it's a subdomain of organizational resilience. And what information resilience does is empowers organizations to safeguard its information, physical, digital, and intellectual property throughout its life cycle from source to destruction. So with that in mind, talking, taking into account information resilience and speaking about it, one of the key elements that our clients have seen in the last several years has been around digital transformation. It's been around the adaptation to cloud services. And some of the key areas that Mike and I wanted to talk about today uh, is around shared responsibility, uh, cloud service, public cloud service provider settings, and what is the perception versus the reality of that, and also some legal considerations. So Mike, from your side, digital transformation, it's been huge in the last several years. It's been driven in the UK, certainly by UK government uh, policy. What has been you know, some of the key elements that we need to take into account from a security perspective, from an information resilience perspective, when it comes to digital transformation? I think one of the key things, Stephen, is for organizations to understand that um, this is not a question of handing over the responsibility to a third party to provide those services back to you. So a lot of organizations think that 
digital transformation and moving into the cloud means uh, a shift of the responsibility from themselves to that supplier and that provider. Um, and I think it's key to understand that we're not talking about some sort of mythical, um, highly secure environment that the cloud is. It's purely a data center for somebody that somebody else is managing and delivering those services back to you. So it's key that organizations understand that it's just a service provider and they are ultimately responsible for any information and data that they push up into the cloud as part of that transformation process. Absolutely, you know, that, that, is, that is a key thing. So, you know, the shared responsibility model, of course, is, that, is exactly that. It's that responsibility model as and when, depending on which service that you're consuming, if it's software as a service, uh, which is typically salesforce.com, Office 365, where pretty much the entire technology is being provided by the cloud provider, by Microsoft, by Salesforce, then the only elements that you as a consumer need to be responsible for is, of course, the data. And you have to be aware of that. As you move across the uh, responsibility model to, towards platform as a service, whereby you're engaging and putting databases and applications into the infrastructure, you've more responsibility. That's the, share, the sliding scale. Um, and of course, then infrastructure as a service is pretty much where the cloud provider provides you with the bare bone metal, shall we say, and, and you, do, you do pretty much the majority of it. I think the key thing we found with our clients is to understand the, the bit about the data. Um, that no matter what model that you adopt, uh, you are responsible for the data. And that brings us nicely, as I said, way into our second point about the default settings for cloud and public cloud providers. Um, and the perception versus reality kind of touches on what you just said there, Mike, a, a minute ago. Um, the perception, I think, for a lot of um, companies and organizations, certainly what we found with our clients in our case studies, um, is that sometimes the perception is not the reality. They perceive that there is a backup of the data and there is versioning, they can go back to a, time, a point in time, et cetera. But the reality is very different, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of those service providers, they, they do sell those services based on that ability to, to roll back to previous versions. But uh, the majority of the time, it's down to us as a client or the clients we work with to define what those things should look like. So the, the service provider, whether it be Google or Amazon or, or anybody else, have these offerings and these options um, but it's not always clear that it's down to the the consumer or the client to actually decide which ones they want turned on and which ones they don't uh, and i think a lot of organizations if you said there's that perception that once i move this into the cloud i've automatically turned all these options on we are more secure the data's protected but in a lot of situations, you can be worse off by not having the right choices being made to ensure your data is looked after and managed in the same way as if it was in your own data center and on your own infrastructure. I've definitely seen that in, the, in, in, in real life. I've seen it with clients. It's incredible when you have your own infrastructure on premise and, and you have your server room or your data center, whatever functionality you have or architecture you have, there's a big emphasis. Is there backups and, and power and, 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 and tapes and disks and so on? But then when the, when the digital transformation does occur, the migration to the cloud occurs, um, there's that perception kicking in. I think it's, very, it's, it's a very real thing. Um, and the legal element of it, of course, you're handing over, as you say, Mike, it's someone else's computer, for want of a better term. Um, the legal considerations we advise our clients to be very, very mindful of. So some of the key documents, of course, are service level agreements, 
uh, incorporating uptime, incorporating service credits. Uh, we talk about you know, non-disclosure agreements and, and ultimately contracts effectively for the services, especially if it's SaaS-based, where you're paying per, per month or per year uh, annually upfront. Um, so from your experience, Mike, um, the legal side of things, you know, engaging with those cloud providers, you know, entrusting them with your data, with your applications, uh, what are some of the, the key things that you would advise clients based on your experience to date? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. And, and I have seen organizations who seem to take much more of a relaxed approach when they're when they're looking for the, the cloud sort of migration type activities compared to a traditional data center. But it, it's key you have the same sort of contractual uh, agreements in place. So as you mentioned, SLA is extremely important. Up uptime, yes, you know that's that is very key. But um, it's about really making sure that your cloud provider can deliver a service equal to or better than whatever you would provide yourselves if you were managing that infrastructure on your behalf. So when you're looking at um, the services they offer, when you're looking at their uh, accreditations, so you're looking for whether it be ISO 27001, whether it be uh, ISO 22301, you know, whatever those might be that you're looking for, you, you need evidence that they adhere to those, that they're not just um, a bit of paper. Um, and again, you want to make sure that um, the legal review of uh, their services and their ability to provide their services thorough and comprehensive. Um, and in some places, and some organizations, you know, I've seen that it's almost seen as a barrier to negotiations because that legal side of things can take a long time, but it's a step that's really important that organizations don't try and rush through. Absolutely, absolutely. And then moving into our next area that we're going to discuss today, uh, which is business continuity. And, you know, in March 2021, uh, the BCI Institute issued its Horizon Scan Report, Business Continuity Institute. And in conjunction with BSI, it, it found that 65% of organizations are using to some form or degree ISO 22301, which is the business continuity standard. That 65% is made up of companies and organizations who are either certified to that standard, uh, or they are using it as a framework, but not certified, or indeed they are using it as a framework, but have an intention to certify in, in the coming timeframe, which is very positive. ISO 22301 is very comprehensive business continuity standard. But one of the key elements we found out of the BCI Horizon Scan Report, and that is available from the BSI website, of course, is the fact that cyber attacks and data breaches are second only to the pandemic as, a, as identified risks in the year ahead. And when I say identified risk, what we mean is there was four categories of risk, kind of red, amber, and then two shades of green. The only two in the red zone, the ones with the high level of priority and the high level of impact were the pandemic, and cyber attacks and data breaches. Um, Mike, as a CISO, um, cyber attacks and data breaches, did it keep you up at night? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting. So I think if you if you went back two years, I, I would think that cyber attacks and data breaches would still be in that red zone. It's interesting how pandemic, obviously, in light of the current situation, has, has moved up into that zone. Um, and, and the two things are tied together. I mean, you know, cyber attacks and, and data breach, the, the risk or, and the likelihood of those happening doesn't change very much on a day-to-day -day basis, but something like a pandemic introduces new factors into, into your risk assessment when you're looking at these type of things. You know, you're talking about a workforce that's gone from potentially half a dozen buildings within a couple of cities or even a couple of countries to potentially 
two or three thousand separate locations on the end of home-based internet service connections that potentially you know are being shared by other family members so there's all sorts of data flows going on there much more likely to be you know intercepted or attacked as a single point rather than an organization so it doesn't surprise me at all and it's something that i constantly have to talk to you know the it teams and the infrastructure guys about what are we doing to help strengthen our end user you know whether it be awareness whether it be technology or anything else that we can do to support them in these times yeah absolutely and that brings on to our next point around and i think these are related two points uh, around business continuity and specifically the cloud considerations and components when it comes to business continuity have a think about your, your recovery point and recovery time objectives um, one of the things about cloud computing is it's elastic in terms of its use of storage and, and performance. So you can consume as much of it as you wish. But remember with that consumption, that data growth, and um, there is a corresponding time element to it in terms of your ability to restore data in a specific time and to a specific point. And really take into account from a public cloud perspective, what are the components of continuity when it comes to the public cloud offerings? So for example, uh, we've worked with clients to a system uh, who are Amazon AWS clients. And of course, Amazon does have a high level of resilience in terms of power and, and disks and networking and so on. Um, but then it offers it offers AWS backup and, it, and so on. But of course, if Amazon has a problem, your primary data is, is in Amazon, is in AWS, and as is your backup data. Okay, it could be in a different region, it could be in a different availability zone, but I think that's some of the key considerations and it comes down to your policy, really. It comes down to, you know what is your what is your policy when it comes to business continuity and timeframes? But what I wanted to jump into, Mike, is ransomware. You know, one thing we found in 2021 with our clients, and we've been helping our clients in the space extensively, is the increased level of ransomware. Not so much increased in terms of volume. I, it could even be decreased in terms of volume, but increasing in terms of success. Um, what are the key considerations from a continuity perspective, Mike, from your experience around ransomware? What are the key, key elements that, that you know, uh, information security um, staff need to be aware of? Yeah, I, I mean, ra ransomware is one of those things. If you if you go back 10 years, it was something that we nobody really thought about. Nobody really considered as a, as a, as a threat. And now it's it's the number one, really, from from a, a, an organization perspective. From a, from a business continuity point of view, what you're really talking about is how quickly you can recover so if a ransomware attack hits your organization and encrypts and immobilizes your key operational systems how are you able to recover those so is this a question of being able to restore from backups is even able over to switch to a, a dr site um, so key considerations around things like backups and many organizations get this wrong is actually testing your ability to restore from backups on a regular basis so having a backup schedule and a really good um, technology solution to back up your key systems is one thing but you need to actually be able to demonstrate that you can recover the data and those systems back within as you said Stephen the time frames your business has agreed because it's all well and good saying yes we can get all this data back but if your business now, objectives are to get your systems back up and running in eight hours, but your recovery solution is a 48-hour recovery at best. There's a clear mismatch between what the business needs and what the technology can deliver, and those sort of things have to be built into your business continuity plans.
Absolutely. And, you know, the, you know, the, the top three ways that we've been advising clients in recent uh, weeks and months has been around those, those three key areas around the first one, which is the infiltration, how to get in. And we know that the vast majority of infiltration in, in ransomware is by email. So really shoring up the email security side of things. And we've been assisting our clients with that element of it. The second element is, of course, the exfiltration of data, which is the, ne the newest component of ransomware over the last year or so, 18 months, whereby it's not just encrypting the data and, and giving you a ransom demand, they're actually exfiltrating the data and then encrypting it and then giving you a ransom demand. So having visibility into your network, having visibility into exfiltration traffic, looking for un you know, unusual volumes, unusual timeframes, unusual locations, Having that visibility in the network is a, is a key second component. And of course, the third component to your point, Mike, is to have a really strong data protection, data management, and effectively backup regime in place. Because if your corporate policy is, we're not paying the ransom, we'll wipe the disks and restore the data. Well, you, as you say, you, you have to make sure that you've tested it, and you have to make sure it's robust, it has a degree of separation from the primary data, so it doesn't get encrypted along with the, uh, the primary data sources, and that you can restore to it in, in a good time frame. So there are three elements that we've been working with clients and uh, to help them to, to bridge it. And like everything else, it's a layered approach, isn't it? So Absolutely. I mean, the final, sorry, Mike, the final thing, of course, is there is the regulatory requirements element, isn't it, in terms of what are your requirements when it comes to data and how long you have to keep it and, and in what form? What's your experience from a regulatory perspective? What are, what are the, the key things to keep an eye on? So what what's really interesting? So I've I've worked in public sector as well as private sector, and in and in public sector, there's a requirement for uh, public bodies to publish uh, a data retention schedule, which outlines what types of data they hold, how long that data is held for, and what happens to it when those retention policies expire. So you hold financial data for six years plus the current year, and then that information is gone. Um, and I think a lot of private organizations could learn from that. So you know, a lot of private organizations don't have a publicly available retention schedule. A lot of organizations don't have a retention schedule at all. And that's key. So data classification and data retention, understanding what that data is, how important it is to the organization, and then how long you keep it. And that then ties into your exfiltration piece you mentioned there, Stephen, around what data should you be monitoring to see whether it's flowing out of the organization? Has it been authorized? Is it unauthorized? And then that obviously ties into your ability to look for um, people uh, inside your network who shouldn't be there. So having that data retention and a classification schedule first and foremost, and then your DLP is sitting on top of that is key. Fantastic. Mike, it's been great to chat to you today. Um, we hope our listeners enjoyed the episode. Um, a call to action, if any of these topics are of concern to you, or if they're within your level of responsibility um, in terms of your know, email security, in terms of exfiltration of data and how to prevent that, network security, and indeed business continuity and the elements of it, please do get in touch to us um, anytime. We're happy to have a conversation. Mike, many thanks for your time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. And we hope uh, you enjoyed our episode. Many thanks for joining us. In our next episode, we will discuss automotive cybersecurity and the challenges automotive manufacturers face preparing for the ISO 21434 standard. Please make sure to subscribe for this upcoming episode and to receive notifications for the entire series. Talk to you all soon.